Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 26 this morning. We are going to pick up where we left off last week. We stopped last week um, at verse 33, and this morning we're going to begin at verse 34. Several years ago, I preached a sermon series called The Perfect Family. I began that first message asking this question, how many of you have the perfect family? Now, if I recall from those messages, um, we may have had a couple of wise guys in this room raise their hand and say that their family was perfect, but for the most part, nobody raised their hand. So let's try this again. It's been a few years, but how many of you in this room have the perfect family? Raise your hand. Okay. You know why your family's not perfect? Not only because you're part of it, but because Scripture is clear, we're all sinners, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners, and because we are sinners, we know that we are not perfect. Now, we're to strive for perfection, but we have not yet arrived at perfection. A defini- I've entitled this morning's message, Can You Say Dysfunctional? A definition of a dysfunctional family that I came across is this. A dysfunctional family is that which is not operating according to its original design. It is faulty, impaired, not working properly for optimal results. Would you agree that God's word is full of dysfunctional families? Yeah, I think all of us would agree with that. Going back to that first family, I mean, think about Adam and Eve, man. They, they walked and talked with God in the garden. But they also listened to the devil. And as a result of that, they ate from the forbidden tree. And, and sin was introduced into the world. They became broken people. Subsequently, we became pro- broken people. Um, um, creation became broken. I mean, think about their first two kids mentioned in the Bible. The first two kids, Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. I mean, that's how creation began. That's how God's Word begins. And then you think about all the families that we've looked at as we walk through Genesis. We know that, that, that there is no perfect family. But we also know that God is good, that God is gracious, that God is forgiven, that He's provided His Son so that all of us, through faith in Him, can enter into an eternal relationship with Him and be forgiven for our sins. Now, we know that God did not design the family to be dysfunctional. But because of that first sin, all of us were born sinners and have a propensity to sin. Before the flood, I mean, the Lord said this of us in Genesis 6-5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's what God said of us before the flood. Now, notice what what God said in a post-flood world in Genesis 8 about us. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. So even in a post-flood world, God said of us that our hearts are evil. Again, but thank God for grace. Thank God for his son. Thank 
God for forgiveness. As we begin walking through the remaining chapters of Genesis, we will see God's faithfulness and humanity's sinfulness on full display. Within these pages, we're going to see something straight out of a Jerry Springer show. Now, some of you know who Jerry Springer is. If you're young, you have no clue probably who he is. I think I may have watched like half an episode one time, and I was disgusted by what I saw. Well, that's kind of what we're going to see in some, um, in some aspects of the remaining chapters of Genesis. The best way to describe this chapter and what we will study this morning is this. Sin cannot stop God's plan, but sin does have consequences. Isaac and Rebekah had two sons, Jacob and Esau. We looked at this before um, Thanksgiving, but notice what Scripture says about these two boys and their parents. In Genesis 25, 28, we read, Isaac loved Esau, but he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. From the very beginning, you can see that there were problems in this family. You had two parents that clearly played favorites when it came to their children. If anything is going to divide a family, that right there is going to divide them. Now, here's what we also need to remember about these two sons. From the very beginning, the Lord made it clear that the younger would be more prosperous than the older. In Genesis 25 through uh, verse 23, we read, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. The Lord told Rebekah this. The older will serve the younger. This is a huge red flag, isn't it? Because the older is supposed to receive the bounty of the father's inheritance. But remember, God made this declaration about these two boys before they were born. God clearly knew what kind of a heart Esau was going to possess. As we read through these pages, some people have said that Esau is a victim of his brother's scheming. They feel bad for Esau. They think that he received the raw end of the deal. But as we will see this morning, that is not true at all. Notice our first point, Esau the rebel. In verses 34 and 35 of Genesis 26, we read, When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Barry, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemuth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. You know, this passage tells us that even before Jacob became the rightful heir of the promise, Esau was a punk of a kid. We are told that he had two wives. And those wives and Esau made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. You know, I know that some of you in this room have had children that have gone astray. And they have made your life difficult um, maybe all of the days of their adult life or during seasons of their adult life. So you can relate to maybe how Isaac and Rebekah felt. Not only did Esau make his parents' life miserable, but we are informed of the kind of character that this man had in chapter 25. Esau willingly, if you remember, forfeited his birthright over to his brother Jacob because he was hungry. You can feel sorry for Esau if you would like. 
But he was a man who allowed his stomach to dictate his future. And scripture tells us he became a terror of a man. So Esau was not the best man, was he? He wasn't the best brother. He probably shouldn't be a man that any of us in this room idolize. Notice next. Let's look at Isaac's disobedience. In Genesis 27, in verses 1 through 4, we read, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat it, that my soul may bless you before I die. So in his old age, Isaac had lost his sight. Maybe his hearing was a little bit bad, but one thing he had not lost was his appetite, like father, like son, right? So he tells Esau, his oldest, that he wants a hearty meal before he invokes a blessing upon him. Now, if Isaac knew that Jacob was the child of promise, why in the world did he call for Esau instead of Jacob? That's a good question, but Scripture doesn't give us a good answer to that question. What we know is Esau was Isaac's favorite. So to prove he was his favorite, he is going to disobey the promise made by God to both him and Rebekah. What happened to Isaac? You remember last week, what did Isaac do? Man, Isaac at the, um, you know, after, after um, he, he had um, sinned, he, um, he goes back to Beersheba after he'd become a prosperous man in the land. Clearly, God had blessed him. Um, he goes to Beersheba, and what does he do? He built an altar right there. He, he worshiped the Lord where his father had worshiped the Lord. Man, I think all of us can relate a little bit to Isaac. I think we all have experienced in our own lives those mountaintop moments where we were walking intimately with the Lord, where we were serving him, where we were worshiping him, where we were making him known, we were growing, we were going, and, and, and we were glowing for the Lord, right? Then because we allow life to get in the way, we have found ourselves drifting away from God's Word. We get busy, busy raising our families. We get busy taking our kids to school, to sports, to their friends. We take them to dance lessons and music lessons and to sports and club sports and etc. We allow our own work to consume our time. We get busy and we drift away, and because of this, we no longer allow the Word of God to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, but we allow the world to guide our steps. I think that's kind of what probably happened to Isaac. He got consumed with life, and he distanced himself from his relationship with the Lord. But what we know about Rebecca is Rebecca most likely knew of Isaac's heart. She knew what he was going to do. 
So she probably, every time that Esau and Jacob got together, she probably put her ear to the door, listening in on their conversations to make sure that Isaac didn't make a mistake and bless Esau instead of Jacob. And that leads us to our next point. Notice Rebecca the schemer. Okay, in verses 5 through 7 we read, Now but Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son. Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before I die. So Rebekah listens in on this conversation and she realizes that she has to act quickly. Why does she think she has to act quickly? Because she thinks that she needs to play God in this situation. God has already invoke the blessing that is going to be invoked upon Jacob. But, 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 but Rebecca thinks that she's going to have to help God out a little bit. So what does she do? She devises a plan. She calls for Jacob, and notice in verses 8 through 10, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare for them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. Do you see what she is doing? She is not only going to trick her husband, but she's going to do this by making sure Jacob gets his father gets to his father first. When Jacob hears this, he must have thought that his mom was a little bit crazy, right? And so notice Jacob's reaction in verses 11 and 12. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. Jacob was not wrong in his thinking, was he? He wasn't hairy. Um, he wasn't a hunter like his brother Esau. He did not sound like his brother. And as we'll look at in a second, in a, in a minute, um, his brother Esau obviously had a pretty um, pungent odor about him. So Jacob feared that instead of being the recipient of his father's blessing, he would actually receive a curse from his father. And then we see Rebecca. Rebecca, man, she becomes a little bit overbearing of a mother next year. Notice verses 13 through 17. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food. So as his father loved. Then Rebecca took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth parts of his neck, and she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son Jacob. Let me ask you a question. Any moms in this room like Rebecca? Any, any of you um, this kind of a mom? Or did you have that kind of a mom? I'm not referring to you or them being swindlers necessarily, but maybe being a little bit overpowering, maybe even forcing an outcome that seems like it is the right one at the time, but probably could have been handled a little bit differently. Any of you ever found yourself in that situation? Um, I'll, I'll never forget when I was probably, I don't know, um, 13, 14 years old. My brother was probably 16 or 17 years old. Um, I remember standing in our kitchen 
And I, I don't remember what my brother said to my mom, but he said something that made my mom so mad. She had a milk carton in her hand. It wasn't half full, but pretty close. She hit him upside the head with that milk carton. To this day, that is one of the funniest things my mom ever did. Did she handle that situation the best? Probably not. Did my my brother deserve getting hit with that milk carton? Probably. But my mom could have handled that situation just a little bit differently. And I think Rebecca could have handled all of this a little bit differently if she would have trusted in the Lord instead of playing God. So even though Rebecca took responsibility for Jacob's actions, there still was a host of problems with this. So let's look at Jacob's deceit next. We know this family is a mess, okay? Makes our families in this room seem pretty normal. Fast forward a a couple hours or so. Jacob has obeyed his mom. The food has been cooked. And now Jacob is about to enter into the tent of his father and deceive him. Even though it appears that Rebecca has covered her bases, there are some serious flaws with this plan. Notice the first flaw. Jacob had the wrong voice. We read in verses 18 and 19, so he went in to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. So Jacob walks into the room and begins to have a conversation with his father. And his father immediately recognizes that there's something wrong. He's like, who is this? Sounds like Jacob, but yet it's Esau coming in and bringing me this meal. Another red flag is the timing. There's a wrong time in verse 20. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found It's so quickly, my son. He answered, because the Lord, your God, granted me success. Now, I I, I grew up hunting, okay? But it's been a long time since I've been hunting. What I do remember about hunting is it's not a, a, a fast man sport, is it? Sometimes it takes a day half a day, or, or, or even days before you find that perfect game that you are trying to um, hunt down. And, and so what we get here is we get Jacob questioning the timing of, uh, I mean Isaac questioning the timing of his son's hunt. You can be certain that Esau went out with the intention of finding the finest game he could for his dad. He didn't go out looking for a doe to shoot. Man, he went out looking for an eight-point buck with a huge rack. He wanted to make sure that his father got a perfect meal before he received his father's blessing. Next, we see here that it's the wrong hair. In verses 22, or 21 through 23, we read, Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. You know, Isaac is pretty confused in this moment. You know, I went to um, yesterday to, to Hobby Lobby and tried to find my best um, impersonation of some sheep wool. And this is about the best that I could come up with. But can you imagine um, being this hairy? 
I mean, think about that. I mean, his mom made, made gloves for him that, that consisted of, of, of wool hair, okay? Put this stuff around his neck. And Jacob goes into his father. And, and, and his father, already there's some red flags, but his father's like, come here, come here. Let me feel you. So he feels his hands, feels his neck. And, and, and at that point, he's like, okay, this really is my son Esau. But, but there's still a problem here, okay? Um, another red flag was the meal that was prepared, right? In verses 24 through 25, we read, he said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate. Then he brought him wine and he drank. So Isaac expects this wild game to be put before him. But what does he get? Man, he gets a couple of goats from his own, 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 own herd. So instead of um, Jacob going out and hunting some wild game, he basically goes to Kroger and buys some meat from the meat market and brings it and prepares it for his father. So that was another red flag. I mean, I don't know what exactly Esau was going to hunt, but he wasn't going to go into um, uh, amongst his dad's herd and grab a couple of goats. There is one thing that Jacob got right, and that was his smell. In verses 26 through 27, we read, then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Everything up until this point has set off a red flag, but the one thing that he got right was the smell test. I don't know what he smelled like, but I feel bad for the two wives that he had that he went home to every night, don't you? Must have been pretty pungent. Finally, we see Isaac bless his son Jacob. In verses 28 through 29, we read, my God give, May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So Isaac blessed Jacob. He thinks it's Esau, but regardless, the blessing had been given. This was God's plan from the very beginning. If Isaac just would have done what God told him to do, they would have been saved of all of these problems. We know that God's hand was all over this family. We know that God had a plan to bless the world through this family. It began with Abraham. It would, it would be transferred to Isaac, and then it would be transferred to Jacob and to the nation of Israel. His plan was good and right, but this family demonstrated their lack of faith as they took matters into their own hands. I think it's best to describe this next point as a broken family. Notice the betrayal that Isaac felt once he realized he had been tricked. So we see Isaac's reaction in verses 30 through 33. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father rise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? 
and I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Isaac realized that he had been tricked, we're told in Scripture that he shook and trembled violently. Isaac realized in that moment that he had been tricked by his family and realized that God had overruled his intention. Remember, sin cannot stop God's plan. God's plan will always prevail, won't it? Next, we see Esau's reaction. Instead of reading verses 34 through 40, I want to just basically give you a brief summation. Esau realizes that he has been robbed of his blessing and his father's inheritance. He is mad, and he breaks down before his father, and he cries like a little baby. He wants a blessing, but all he gets from his father is the grim reality of what awaits him. Notice what we read in verse 41. Now, Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Esau hated Jacob. And his anger was going to lead him to kill his brother. And this would lead finally to Rebekah's reaction. In verses 42 through 46 we read, But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau confronts him, comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Because of the dysfunction of this family, Isaac and Rebekah would lose two sons. One would become a wanderer in the land. The other would be sent to a distant land. This is the last mention of, Ray, of, of Rebecca in God's word with the exception of her burial site. Because of her sin, because of her scheming, she would never see Jacob again. Isaac and Jacob would reunite on, on Isaac's deathbed 20 years from this moment. Know that God's way is always the best way. Isn't it? You know, I know that this story this morning is one of those that just kind of makes your stomach turn because you're like, how could a family miss it so badly? You know, we may not have missed it this badly in our own families, but I think all of us, as we look back on our parenting and on our grandparenting, we probably will recognize that, you know, I could have handled that situation better. I probably could have... Um, love my kids better or my spouse better or done better at my place of employment or as an employer I could have treated my workers better. You may ask yourself this morning, how can I discern God's way? How do I know when it's God's way and not my way? Well, James gives us a great 
way of testing to help us see if our way is God's way or not. Notice James 3, 13 through 18, we read, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You know, as we close this morning, may we all realize we need to wait on God. We need to trust God's plan for our lives and not feel like we have to do all of the work ourselves. All of us have made mistakes. All of us have failed as parents, as children, as employees, and as employers. We have all sinned and we all have fallen short of the glory of God. But praise the Lord for his grace and his forgiveness. No matter what you have done, no matter how bad you may have messed up or failed, you can be forgiven and set free from the curse and the bondage of sin. Jacob, he will make many, 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 many mistakes, as we will see over the next few weeks. But in the end, Jacob is a man of faith. He was a man that would worship the Lord and turn to the Lord and serve the Lord. You know, we've made mistakes, but it's not too late, is it? If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with the Lord, I want to invite you this morning to come to Jesus, to repent of your sins and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You may be here this morning and you're like, man, I, just, I, need, I need some prayer. I need somebody to pray for me. I'd love to pray for you. You can come up here, grab me after the service, or even find somebody in this room during this time of invitation and say, hey, will you pray for me? Let's stand together. And I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And if there's a decision you need to make, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for our time of worship. Father, thank you for our time of study. Thank you, Father, Lord, for stories like the one that we studied this morning. What this tells us, Father, is and reminds us of is that sin has consequences. This story also reminds us of the fact that even though we mess up, even though we fall short, we still can be forgiven. We are still covered by the blood of Jesus. Father, I pray this morning that if there is someone here this morning that does not have a relationship with you, that today will be the day of their salvation. I pray, Lord Jesus, this morning that if there is someone here, Father, that just needs somebody to pray for them, pray with them. I pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that they will just um, allow us as a faith family to wrap our arms around them, to encourage them, 
to walk with them through whatever they're going through. Father, be with us now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.